Isn't life much more than just navigating red lights and green lights and blacks and whites? Isn't life really the ability to discern what is most helpful here? What is most glorifying here? What is more eternal here? What is more temporary? This is a discernment thing for Daniel. There's something about this, maybe akin to Romans 14, where Paul talks about how there are some people, there's some Christians who think that these days are holy, and other Christians think that those days are not holy, and Paul says that's nothing to fight over. In your heart, be convinced in your heart. Or Paul goes on to say some people eat these foods, and other people think those foods aren't to be eaten. But Paul says, in your heart, be convinced of what you've been led to believe. Or 1 Corinthians 8, the same sort of thing. This is a wisdom issue for Daniel. There is no specific command of God that's saying to him, do not eat that food and drink that wine. Because there's no chapter and there's no verse that says, you know, when you're taken captive by a pagan king and told to eat his table and drink his wine, here's what you do. There's no chapter and verse that says that. So Daniel is going to have to apply discernment, Wisdom and this thing called the Christian conscience. So this is a perfect opportunity for us to pause for just a few minutes and think about the Christian conscience, what it is and why it's so important and how it's coming to bear on Daniel in this story. So what is the Christian conscience? Well, the word Christian there is just an adjective. We could just say, what's the conscience? Because all people, Christian or not, have one. It's part of being created in the image of God. We bear the image of God. And part of bearing His image means that He has created us with this thing called our conscience. Now, what is our conscience? We sometimes know what our conscience does, but what is our conscience? Our conscience is part of us. It's not part of the God who indwells us. It's part of us. God created us with this conscience. And this conscience, you can think of it like a a built-in moral compass. A built-in moral compass that is designed to give us an indication of right or wrong. Now, our conscience is set in motion or put into place by the means of revelation. Revelation from God. And so all people are born with a conscience that's informed about what is right and what is wrong from general revelation. General revelation just means you look around, wow, this is an amazing world. There has to be a God that created this. And there there has to be a a God that made all these things and He has to be powerful and He has to be good and I I have to be in submission to Him because He's the Creator. That's general revelation. That's what we learn from general revelation. So all of us have this conscience that's informed by general revelation. However, all of us have a conscience that is extremely damaged by the fall, distorted by the fall. So that that compass that was designed to point to true north no longer really points to true north, at least not in many situations. 
And so then we have this situation in which all people have this conscience, but the conscience doesn't always point them in the right direction. So places like Romans chapter 2 and verse 15, we see the Bible affirming that the conscience is present in all people. They, Paul speaking here of unbelievers, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So their conscience, even though it's informed in a limited way just by general revelation, still accuses them and says to them, you stand before a holy God and you have sinned against Him. Or Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18, that's where Paul talks about they are being darkened in their mind and darkened in their understanding. And without this light from the Spirit, this light from God. So this conscience is part of all people. It's, it's part of, of this built-in mechanism that we have that's part of us that is designed to inform our souls or to speak to our spirits about what is right and what is wrong. Now we can follow that conscience or we can sin against that conscience. And when we sin against that conscience, when we knowingly do what our conscience is leading us to not do, or when we knowingly fail to do what our conscience is leading us to do, then we do something that Paul says to Timothy, we sear that conscience or we numb it or we cauterize it, we uh, remove the feeling from it. I uh, cut myself this week and had to get some stitches, and that's what they did. They put, they put this numbing shot right there, which took away all the feeling so that they could do the little needle thing through there, right? Without that, I wouldn't have sat there because the feeling had to be taken away in order for me to even bear that. And that's how it is when we sear the conscience. The conscience is like... It's kind of like our pain mechanism, that God gave us this pain mechanism that hurts when we're about to be in danger. You're about to touch a hot stove and it hurts, and that's God's built-in way of telling us, no, that's dangerous, don't do that. Your conscience is the same thing. It tells you that's dangerous, don't do that. But when we sin against it and we sear it and we numb it, then it stops to work properly. It starts to fail. It starts to work improperly. However, this conscience being seared, now it's now useless for the purpose that it was given to us. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So there's these liars Paul's referring to. They are telling untruths and they know it and they keep on doing it. And by so doing, they sear or numb or dull the conscience so that it no longer gives them the direction that it was intended to give them. So this this conscience of ours is greatly damaged and greatly perverted, and it is the Spirit's work to restore it and to correct it and to train it to once again act like it's supposed to act when God gave it to us. So the Spirit comes into us when we repent And when we believe upon the gospel, the Spirit then does His illumining work. And His work is then to illumine our hearts to the truth of His message, to the truth of His word. And by so doing, He then informs our conscience with another kind of revelation. Remember, all people have a conscience that are informed by general revelation. But the Spirit enters the believer and begins to inform the believer's conscience with a revelation that's specific. 
that's from God in the the form of the scriptures. And so the written revelation, the specific revelation, the Spirit then uses that to take that damaged, perverted, broken conscience and begin restoring it back to the function that it was supposed to be originally. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, oftentimes in the scripture, washing of water is a metaphor for the word. Particularly the writer to the Hebrews likes that metaphor. And so often that refers to what the word does to us. This washing of water is like a word picture for what the word does to us. So here the writer says that the spirit has cleansed us from this evil conscience and is washing us with the washing, with the restoring water of the Word. And that Word being illumined in our hearts then begins to do its work of recalibrating that broken compass, restoring that which is supposed to point to right and wrong but has stopped doing so or now fails to do so. The Spirit's work of illumining His Word into our conscience then causes our conscience to begin coming back in line with the God that it's supposed to point to. The Word also restores this function of our conscience, but it only does it, the, the Word doesn't do that just by being read to us. We don't just read the Word and the Spirit illumines the Word and then that begins restoring this compass. Instead, it has to be obeyed. So we hear the Word, the Spirit illumines the Word, and we obey the Word, and that's the work of restoring this conscience of ours. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 7. This is at the end of the parable of the two builders. And Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so Jesus is saying quite plainly there, it's not enough to hear my words. If you hear my words and do them, then that will be like a wise man. You will be informed The Spirit will then not only have illumined your heart, but then your obedience is bringing your conscience in line with the illumination work from the Spirit. So Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, look at this one with me. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. Trained how? Trained by constant practice. Trained by constant practice to do what? To distinguish good from evil. So there's good, there's evil. We need to distinguish between the two. How do we do that? We do that by a conscience that has been trained through practice. So our conscience receives the Word, the Spirit illumines the Word, we obey the Word, and that serves to focus, to train, to sharpen this compass so that we then are more skilled at discerning between good and evil, between right and wrong. That's how the Spirit leads us. The Spirit doesn't necessarily lead you directly. The Spirit doesn't necessarily speak to your spirit and say, hey, do this and don't do that. The Spirit works into your conscience and works to illumine and inform your conscience And that's how He leads you. That's why the Spirit can't lead you unless you obey what He leads you to do. That's why the obedience is necessary there. 
when our consciences become trained by the Spirit through this obedience and faith to the Word, then our consciences then become an absolutely necessary, an absolutely indispensable, an invaluable component to a godly life. A godly life cannot be lived without the help of a conscience that is trained by the Word and illumined by the Spirit and obeyed by the believer. That is the only way that a godly life may be lived. Look at Paul's words in Acts chapter 23. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I've, saved, I've lived my life before, all, before God in all good conscience up to this day. Paul's saying here this, that his conscience has led him to this godly type of life. So the word illumined, obeyed, that's necessary in order to grow this conscience, to strengthen, to focus this conscience, and that is absolutely necessary in order to live a godly life. And here's why. You cannot live your life applying only what the Scripture directly addresses and expect that to speak to all situations in your life. That's just not possible. There's not a verse, there's not a chapter in a verse for everything that you face. Daniel here is in the same situation in which there's not a chapter in a verse that tells him, here's what I'm supposed to do when a pagan king has captured me and tells me to eat from his table. Therefore, Daniel has to use discernment. He has to use wisdom. And the only way he can do that is through a conscience that is informed and directed and shaped by the word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says that we've been given everything that's needed for, for a godly life in the knowledge of Him. We've already been given it. So the Scriptures have everything that we need in order to live a perfectly godly life. We believe that. That's called the sufficiency of Scripture. There is sufficient in Scripture everything that is needed for us to live a perfectly godly life. So, how is that? When Scripture doesn't directly address everything that we face. What does Scripture say about when June 1st comes along and it's now Pride Month all over the place? What does Scripture say about that? Nothing directly. And a thousand other things. So it is not possible for us to live a truly complete godly life without a Christian conscience that's trained by the Word in order to discern. So how does this work when Scripture doesn't specifically address everything directly? It's because Scripture is not a bunch of words on a page. Hebrews 4 verse 12. Scripture is living. Active, breathed out by God, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to discern even the thoughts of the heart. So when the Holy Spirit is illumining to us His Word, He's not illumining to us just sentences and paragraphs. He's illumining to us a living Word. Living things take root and grow and blossom and bring forth fruit. 
And so that's how the work of the Spirit to illumine His Word into our heart grows into our conscience and forms our conscience so that our conscience can then be the moral guide that it needs to be when we face the hundreds of questions that we face that there's not a chapter and a verse specifically for, like Daniel's doing right now. Daniel's conscience has been informed by the living Word. And he has obeyed that Word. And it has prepared him for what he faces now, as he faces this this question. We can't answer exactly why, but something has told Daniel's conscience that he will be defiled if he and his friends take of the king's table. And God affirms that by blessing him when he abstains. By giving him favor with the steward so that he can abstain, and then blessing he and his friends so that they can continue abstaining. So Daniel has been led in this way to have this conscience that, if I could put it this way, thinks the thoughts of God. Look back on the first page of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. What's being freely given to Daniel right now? some lavish food, and some wine. And Daniel needs to understand, should I partake of that or not? And so Daniel's been given not the spirit of man, but he's been given the spirit of God. And so he can discern what's being offered to him, which is what he does. The Christian life cannot be lived without a restored and a trained conscience. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the growth of our conscience, the training of our conscience, is like us being taught to think like God. To see the world like God sees the world. To not see the world as a bunch of lists. Like, we got to keep this list and don't do that list, right? That's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus hated that. Because you can't follow Jesus with lists. It's far more than that. So in order to have this discernment, we have to be given the ability to, to begin to think, God, think God's thoughts after Him and to see the world as He sees it and to receive this wisdom that guides Daniel and us through these scenarios that aren't necessarily spelled out for us letter for letter and word for word in the Scriptures. Notice how Paul puts it here, that you may discern, that you may test, you may test and discern what is the will of God, but then he says what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you know that it's not enough to be able to discern right from wrong? Don't you also need to be able to discern good from better and better from best? And don't you also need to be able to to discern not only right from wrong, but don't you need the ability to discern helpful from not so helpful? or helpful from unhelpful, or wise from less wise? Isn't that what life really is? Isn't life 
much more than just navigating red lights and green lights and blacks and whites? Isn't life really the ability to discern what is most helpful here? What is most glorifying here? What is more eternal here? What is more temporary? And that's really the basis. That's really, I think, where Daniel is at right now. He's being faced with something. Jehoiakim is eaten from the table. There will come a time in Daniel's life where he feels free to eat from the table. But right now, for reasons undisclosed to us, he's led to feel strongly that he shouldn't eat from the table, nor should his friends. Maybe it had to do with their witness to their captors. Maybe it had to do with their witness to weaker believers or weaker Jews who were there. Maybe it had to do with just the point of life that Daniel's at. You know, he's only 13 or 14. Maybe he falls into this category that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. We do not, we, we not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Or verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak? Maybe Daniel is at that point in his life. 13, 14-year-old boy. He hasn't experienced all that much at this point. And maybe God in His wisdom says, you will be defiled if you eat of the king's table now. But in 20 years, you'll be a different man. So notice the, the, the progression here. He's faced with this test. And this test is going to set him up for more stressful tests to come. Daniel's not going to face the lions just out of the blue. Daniel's already faced tests before. Now he faces this one. He'll face more, many more to come. Visions are going to come. People are going to lie about him. They're going to get him in trouble for praying. There's going to be lions to face. There's going to be awkward visions to tell the king, etc., etc., etc. But God is progressively preparing him for that as he listens, as he receives, and as he obeys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.